Welcome to the Psychology of Commercial Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Sean K. Michael. Instead of talking about technical know-how in each episode, instead we'll be taking a mental approach. We'll be talking about building relationships, building trust, and how to be our best selves when we're out in the field doing deals. So let's become students of psychology together as we learn from some of the best out there. Remember to hit subscribe to make sure you get all of the latest psychology of commercial real estate episodes to your smartphone. Welcome. Today, my guest is Jennifer Pearson. She's the founding partner of Strive, which is her own company in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She also um, previously was the managing director and senior vice president at CBRE for 21 years. She has won top female broker in the Southwest region, top 200 producer nationwide, and at CBRE was managing a team of over 300 brokers and actually studied commercial real estate in college. I think you'll enjoy today's episodes where we talk about quieting our minds and accomplishing more. I'm proud to welcome today's guest, Jennifer Pearson. Jennifer, I, I appreciate you being willing to, to chat today, and I wanted to firstly just ask you, you actually contributed to a book called Winning Ways in Commercial Real Estate. Yeah. And uh, that's actually how we're kind of connected in the I might be doing some media work for Pamela Goodwin, since I have a video company where I do all types of media work, testimonials, all types oh, of great. video content creation. Right. I'm yeah. curious. What what got you started in commercial real estate, and what what do you feel um, helped you build that momentum? Well, I I majored in um, commercial real estate in college, so and that was a very fluky situation. I had a good friend who was in the business school at Arizona State, and he was learning how to use a calculator called an HP 12C. And he came over to my apartment, and he was literally like, you got to see what I can do on this calculator. And he showed me how. He goes, I can run the payment of a house on this if you just tell me the interest rate and the amortization and the purchase price. And I was like, that's friggin' awesome. Oh, my God. He goes, you should transfer into the real estate school, in the business school. And that was and I did. That, that, was, that was why I got into um, commercial real estate, which was in the early 90s, um, especially investment sales. There weren't any women. And I was very weary, I don't know why, of getting into a corporate structure where someone could determine my success based on a promotion or lack thereof, that I had mm-hmm. to not only be good at what I did, but I had to, um, I had to be likable um, and deserving in the eyes of someone else. That Mm. made me very uncomfortable. Um, I liked the idea of going as far as I wanted to go based on um, my own grit and determination and putting up numbers that you can't dispute. Mm. And in commercial real estate, it allows you to do that. You can put up numbers that can compete and it's, your your gender, your color, your personality, they're all invisible. It's just how good are you at what you're doing, relatively invisible. And so being a woman, 
that was very important to me because, well, it turns out I was right because back at that time, um, and I'm not faulting anyone um, that was around me, but there were many people, and they happened to be men, who said things like, um, you really should be home with your children, or you really should get into selling houses. You'd be really good at that. Or oh, you know, wow. whispers of, why is she here? What, why, is she, why is she at the table? She's, and I'm in Texas, so it's a good old boy network. Mm-hmm. Um, and had I been in a corporate structure, I was too worried that all of those preconceived ideas would have hurt me and every time somebody so now this gets back to mindset that I got rookie of the year at CB and then I quickly started being a top producer and uh, someone did say to me and he was being kind actually and he was being um, he was trying to be more of a mentor and he said and he was a broker too and he said you know you're really good why don't you sell houses? You could be really great at that. It seems like it would be a good fit for you. Um, And he was probably 10 years older than me. And I just smiled and said, thank you. But in my mind, I said to myself, that man will never put up bigger numbers than me in this shop. He will never beat me in production again. It will be my own internal mission not that I shared with anybody else, but just was very clear inside myself, I will beat him every year from now as long as I'm in this business. And I did. Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing because that's – I would imagine that story running in your head of other people telling you what is possible and what's not. Right. You had to go against that. So, yeah. right? That was – Yeah, that's absolutely. That, that's – even other female brokers or anyone that feels that they're not um, they're not be able to reach their full potential, that there's that that mindset that is limiting. Like, how are you yeah. able to separate yourself from that and be the 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 difference maker or the person that did things a little differently than everyone else? For me, what I was doing differently than anyone else was there was a quiet determination and grit happening inside me that was virtually invisible to everyone else. Um, And that drove me to work longer hours, be smarter, be more impressive than anyone else around me or try to be. I'm not saying I was more impressive or smarter. I I wasn't. But I, I worked harder so that uh, it looks that way. I put in more hours. Um, I worked when I was very young. I started in my early 20s. I worked all the time. I worked long hours during the day. I worked on the weekend. I worked all the time. And because of that, I showed better a lot of the time. So being in Texas, back to that being a woman, there are actually great advantages to being a woman. Because I was different than anyone else, these owners of shopping centers, I was different than anyone else they were interacting with just by the sheer, sheer nature of my gender, I could get indoors. I could, I could kick the door open. But once I got in there, 
I, there was a shuffle. I had to perform better than anybody else. I, ha- I really had to impress them because usually the reason I got in was not because they necessarily wanted to do business with me. So I could get in and then I had to get real strong, real fast, real impressive, real fast. And I knew that intuitively. I knew that that's what I did. I worked hard. I figured it out fast. I competed head to head with these guys. That's, that's great because one of the things that people get scared of is becoming a workaholic and also they're doing too much work or putting too much time or effort. But what I like in the book that you talk about is enjoying the work, you know, like enjoying it. Yeah. And also your whole section of your book is called, you know, be present in all things. So yeah. why does that, that, that key phrase resonate with you? I don't believe in this idea that um, everybody, that you should just wait for something to strike you that you love and then go do it and then you'll be wildly successful. I, I don't think it actually works like that. I think that um, I put my mind to doing something and then I had some success at it and then I started to really love it because it fueled me. It fueled my self-esteem. It gave me energy. And that is the reason that I worked as much as I did before I had a family. Um, and I even worked a, a lot more than most when I did have a family. I tried to balance, but I, I work a lot. And that's because I enjoy it. And then the being present in all things, I started to figure that out when I got into my late 30s. I'm 51 now. I just turned 51. So probably in my late 30s, I really started contemplating life, contemplating why am I here? What does it all mean? Am I doing what I want to be doing? And am am, am I, um, in, in my mind, being present in every moment and everything we do gives me the most joy. I figured out that if I am mindful and present and aware, that brings me a lot of joy. And the best way for me to explain it is the opposite of that, which is, as an example, if I am on the phone, like right now I'm talking to you and I'm looking out the window of my office. I'm not on my computer Um, I'm not looking at my cell phone. I'm not trying to multitask and do two things. I certainly have done that in the past, and it causes me stress and anxiety. And what ends up happening is I'm not paying attention to you. I'm not hearing your voice. I'm not listening to your questions. And I'm really not paying attention to whatever it is I'm doing on the computer, I find it impossible to do those two things at one time and be good at either one. And I talk about in that chapter in the book, it's not just related to life. There are many, many examples throughout um, our culture that point to this um, high um, performance in relation to high mindfulness. There are many, many high-performing CEOs, entrepreneurs, business owners who also meditate. And the reason that they do that is because they want to have the ability to get into what I would call the zone, athletes too. 
athletes, actually, you heard it sooner than you heard it with people who are running companies. Because if you want to be at peak performance, you can't be distracted by anything else. You have to be totally mindful of what you're doing at that time. And it's very singular to get to a peak level, to be excellent at something. So when somebody is running, they are not thinking about anything else except for running. When somebody is doing high-performance, high-risk sports like rock climbing, they're not thinking about anything else except for that one thing because that their life depends on it. It's the same thing with business. If you want to be great, you really need to be hyper-focused on that one thing at that one given time. And I'm talking about seconds. I'm talking about right now talking to you, thinking about what I am saying, thinking about what you're asking, and being completely vested in this conversation. And that makes it more fun, and it makes me better at it, and it makes me reach that peak performance that I strive to, which I really enjoy. No, that's a great point because I find for myself, when I've been caught up in my head and really down maybe or thinking some negative thoughts, I remember a friend approached me and said, you know, you know what you really need to do is quiet your mind. And mm-hmm. I had never heard anyone say that to me. And when yeah. I said it, I was thinking, you know, that is true. That When I have a quieter mind and I'm more in that moment, I'm more likely to achieve, to get things done, to and feel good really about whatever task is at hand. How can someone that's listening develop that in themselves if they want to really go after something? In list, first of all, that's a really good question. That might be one of the most important questions um, in our in in business in life. What drives somebody to be the way that they are, and how can we bottle that? Like, if I could bottle that drive and give it to somebody else, or even find it in other people, be able to tell if they have it because I hire a lot of people, because I own my own company, I'm looking for that. Um, I I would really love to understand that better. I I don't know how to do it, but that what a great gift. If I could give something to other people, it would be the drive and determination that I have in myself. Um, I think that 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 is um, a common denominator of people who want to achieve high levels of success. Here's what I know about myself. This is kind of a bummer because you can't recreate it. It just happened in my life. So my parents, I'm one of four kids, and my parents are still married today. My father came from a generation of being what I would consider to be highly removed emotionally or unaware emotionally. Um, He worked very hard, um, but I would consider um, his parenting style as maybe absent and kind of removed. And I don't fault him for that. And I have come to understand the the beauty in that. And I'm very grateful for who he is as a man now older as an, as a adult. Um, but I had a lot of turmoil, internal turmoil with my relationship with him as a young person And I fought it. I thought he should be different than he was. And I was striving for his approval through without even maybe understanding that I was. 
through my young adulthood and my career. I was striving for his approval, which was difficult to achieve, by the way. Um, I think that ignited a fire in me, was n- not not uh, extinguishable. You cannot, you could not put it out. That was a burn in me that no one was going to take away, and nobody was could have created it in me. It had to come from that place. Like you put a wall in front of me, and I would go over it, under it, around it, but you were not going to keep me back with that wall. I would have found a way, and that is partially because. Really, it boils down to wanting to be loved. It's that simple of a human desire, wanting to be loved, wanting to have approval from my father. And that is, love is probably one of the most powerful forces in the world. And I think that's where it came from. I didn't understand it at the time, but I I understand it now as an adult. And I had, um, I'm very grateful that that was the way I grew up. And then I also had a mother who was highly empathetic, very loving, very nurturing, very, um, she instilled in me that I could be great, very, um, saw the goodness in me. So you put those two together. For some reason, that formula gave me the confidence to go out in the world to perform, but the need to feel approval. That's the part that you can't recreate, you can't give to someone. I would like to bottle that up and give it to somebody so that they have that grit. But everybody has their why. You know, like there was um, a very famous YouTube uh, TED Talk of a guy talking about Apple's why and what they were so successful because they were very dialed into their why. Everybody has that own personal why that drives them. So no matter what yours is, if you can tap into that and understand it, or maybe even it fuels you and you don't understand it like me until you're older, that's an important. I think today, uh, now I'm co- my our, my company is a young company. We started it in 2017, and I train and coach. Um, we've got 17 young brokers within our shop right now. Um, I try to teach them very practical things like you're going to get down. Deals are going to fall apart. That's the nature of it. So you, if something falls apart, you only get to cry about it for 24 hours is our rule. You get to be upset for 24 hours, and then you move on to something else. And if you think about that concept, really it is trying to control your mind because 90% of, of our success is driven by what's in between our two ears, right? It's how we mm-hmm. tap into control, understand our minds. So it's really telling them, okay, you get to let your mind go wild with that for 24 hours and then you turn it off and you put it into progress, success, the next deal, the next client. And through that, there's a thread of serving, helping other people. I strongly believe that if your motivation is to help other people, I tell them, if you're goal is monetary success. If you help other people be wealthy, you will then in turn become wealthy. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it works like that. No, that's very interesting. So it's like a perfect storm of a lot of different factors related to your background and, you know, your upbringing and, and getting that grip. But I could see if someone knows their why and is reminded of that and tells themselves, you know, what is in it for me? Why am I doing this? Why does it matter? 
that they're more likely to get that grit. They're more likely to face um, any type of struggle and really come out stronger on the other side. Yeah, I think that that is a a big motivator. We're, we're, we all, we tick for different reasons. I just didn't want to be one of those people who was super, super driven in a state of anger. You know, I, I love being driven, but I also wanted peace and joy and harmony. Right, I think that's a great point, too, because besides anger, anxiety. I mean, I've seen so many successful Anxiety, yeah, for sure. so driven, but they're anxious, they're, they're unsure of what, you know, what's going to happen next, and they're very, um, yeah, they're all over the place. So, like, how do you deal with that? That's, that's a big thing that I found for me, too personally and running my own business and now getting started in commercial real estate, one of the things that I find is there's that almost with society and the way everything's working with technology, we're pushed to rush. You know, it's we're pushed to respond and it's yeah. there's that constant push. How do you deal with not rushing through your tasks and approaching things one by one? And I don't always do it great. And when I know I'm not doing it great is when I behave in a way that I'm not proud of. And usually that comes from stress, some deadline I've got to meet, some um, something I've got to get out the door and somebody's needing me and getting in the way and I push them aside um, in, in a way that I would like to go back and redo. You know what I mean? Or so, That's kind of how it shows itself for me. So it's not perfect by any means. I think meditation helps. And what meditation does is it slows your brain down, like what you were talking about. Your friend said to you, you need to slow your mind. It teaches you how to um, slow your mind and then create a gap in between stimulus and response. For instance, um, working on something and in a bit of frenzy and trying to get it out the door and very much not in a mindful place. And then somebody else steps into the picture and says something to me, comes into my office, needs something, interrupts. Um, I can, if I'm not mindful, if I haven't meditated, if I don't have the ability to create the space between their stimulus and my response, I'll have a knee-jerk reaction, and I'll say, not now. But if I have been meditating, and I am practiced at slowing my mind, and I am more mindful, they can come in, and I can create that space. And that space is like a second or two in time. And that space allows me to look up, stop what I'm doing, and say, what you have to tell me is important, but I have to get this out the door. It's going to take me 30 to 45 minutes to get it out. Can I come grab you when I'm done? And if I do that, they feel good, I feel good, and then I can go back to doing what I'm doing and be mindful at what I'm doing. If I do the not now, which has no space in between stimulus and response, and I have that, and usually the not now is not in a kind voice. It's not now. <laughs> then I'm back in the task. I've gotten them out of my door, but I'm back in the task and I'm hearing in my mind that wasn't very nice. 
and I'm distracted by how I responded, and it's keeping me from being mindful in the task that I was doing. So it actually costs me more time and less focus in the, in the task that I want to be focused on because I'm now distracted because I don't like how I behaved, and it's messing with my focus. That's very true. I find sometimes when I slow down, like I get things done quicker, it's like a reverse yeah. situation that's kind of strange, but you're slowing down and taking your time and you're actually getting done things quicker. When you look at the time, you've got more time. And I find it's just because I'm so focused at the task at hand that I'm just in that flow state and I'm getting a lot more done because I'm not, I don't have that mental chatter in the background. I think that's, that's it. That's yeah. it. Exactly. That's it. Like that analogy that I just gave you of somebody showing up in my doorway, I've never said that before. I've never articulated that before. I've never, um, it's, that's not part of my shtick. You know what I mean? That's a, so those kind of concepts, when you're highly focused, they naturally flow. And it makes you a better communicator, I think. No, absolutely. Very true. That's all we have time for this episode, but please stay tuned for next week when we do part two with Jennifer Pearson, where we talk about more mental strategies to approach commercial real estate success. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you get all the latest episodes. Bye for now, and we'll see you next week.